Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your host. Eric Shapiro, David Today, we're going to be talking uh, to a forensic handwriting examiner, specialists, and uh, her name is Sheila Lowe. Thank you for joining us, Sheila. Uh, thank you for having me. So, Sheila, first of all, um, handwriting examiner. So, how did you get involved in uh, doing analysis on handwriting? Like, what, what led, you, <laughs> led you into that? Okay, do you have a very long memory? We have to go back to 1967. Um, yeah, more than 50 years ago, I was in high school, and my boyfriend's mother had read a book about handwriting analysis, and she analyzed my handwriting, and it just immediately got me hooked. So I guess she I start- was right. <laughs> she was right. Yeah, she said. She said I was emotionally stormy, <laughs> which was, you know, you could say that about a lot of 17-year-old girls. But uh, she was right, and uh, she said I was, I think she said I was thrifty. I, I didn't realize she was checking me out as a potential daughter-in-law. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, yeah, that was the start. Yeah, next time, type your letters. <laughs> Indeed, that's what people usually say to me. They don't want me to see their writing, but I tell them, unless you're paying me, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah, don't worry, unless you see something that scares you. <laughs> 
yeah. Now, it, it, when you when you do an analysis or you look at a handwriting, um, I mean, how much how much training goes into that? Like, how 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 many years do you have to go, or what? What's the process? Well, first, let's separate. There are two areas of handwriting analysis, and I work in both of them. Some people work in one or the other. Uh, what I started in was called graphology, which is personality assessment through handwriting. And the other is handwriting authentication, where I testify in court about who wrote something. So those are two related but quite separate areas. And, um, yeah, the training for either, there is no licensing. So it's really up to the individual. There are very few courses that you can take in it these days. Over the years, there have been different courses you could take, but it's not taught in the universities. So I like to think that at least two years of serious study is necessary, mm-hmm. for at least for the personality assessment type. I'd, I'd like to see a four-year degree in the handwriting authentication. Yeah, it's used so much in court, like when you were talking about the second category. Um, mm-hmm. how, does, how does a court recognize an expert then if there's no, as you say, licensing per se or, or, or official university that will give you a degree. Um, why do courts accept it then? Like what, what's kind of the level? Well, the, it's like with any expertise, you go through voir dire, which is, um, it means literally to tell the truth. So you get on the witness stand and the attorney um, elicits your background and education. And then the opposing attorney can ask questions, you know, and do a sort of a cross-examination and challenge that background. And then it's up to the judge in the end to decide whether the expert is an expert, whether I should say whether the witness is an expert in the field. Wow. But, but by what measure are, are you, you know, who says that this is the expert level? By what are you measuring this? Well, that's what I just said. The judge decides. Hmm. But in, in many cases, in my case, I am certified by the Scientific Association of Forensic Examiners as a document examiner. So, you know, there, it's when you reach a certain level of expertise and you become certified, that gives you an extra level of uh, uh, attainment. Wow. That's interesting. I didn't realize. I thought there was some sort of university courses you're going through. Yeah. Um, like, do you, I've like, taught do you, them in university. Have, oh. Like, do, do you have to get so many right? Or, you know, I mean, I, I don't understand how they're measuring this. Well, yeah, it's kind of difficult. Um, when you say if you get them right, what are you talking about? Are you saying, did the attorney win the case? Oh, no. That, that, almost, I mean, that's, you can't really, you can't measure that way. How do you know that you got it right? You have an opinion. You have an expert professional opinion. And as to whether you're you know, absolutely right or not, how can sometimes it, it's just given an opinion? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's so ethereal. It's almost like being a forensic psychologist mm-hmm. or, you know, a, an analyst at the BAU. You know, you, you may have your opinions and this is what I see. But, you know, at the end, you know, is the case one. I, I guess you're right. You know, now, now that I'm sitting here talking about it. What are, what are some of the um, key things you can learn from a person from their handwriting? Um, on the personality side, yeah. well, the, oh, well, the, on the personality of, side is kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. 
the, the kinds of things that I'm looking at are the, the state of their ego, how strong they feel, like how much space they feel they deserve to take up in the world. Um, and, and you may feel like you deserve to be here, but yet do you have the inner strength to go out and get what you feel you need? So there's the ego, um, social style, social skills, thinking style, um, uh, stamina and energy, sex drive, organization, all those sorts of things, fears and defenses, those show up very strongly in handwriting. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was just, I'm wondering now, when you say on the personality, so, um, so if, for a person that's a writer, that, that writes a book, let's say, for entertainment, and mm -hmm. you don't see the actual handwriting, um, are there still, are they the same techniques that you would decide on, you could analyze that as well as you could the handwriting, or is it just specifically to the style of writing? No, it's specific to writing. What, if I was to analyze text, and I, I did get some training through the Seattle Police Department in that 20 years ago, um, that's called statement analysis, and that's really a completely different thing. Okay, yeah. Wow. Um, well, yeah. Get, get, uh, well, given everything that's going on today in the news, a real, real quick question. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you've got people testifying before Congress. You got people testifying at court. Is there a stress difference between a person who is being made to write a statement for investigators and a person who is freely making a statement, kind of like, almost like Yusinski, the, uh, the Unabomber, who was freely doing this on his own? Right. Yes, there, there will be some differences because, um, you know, well, obviously, you're not writing freely. You're writing what somebody wants you to write, and you may not be willing to write it. And so some of that unwillingness may show up in handwriting. What's some of the highest um, profile cases you've worked on um, uh, with handwriting? Um, in an unofficial capacity, usually I'm working on them with the media, not for the courts, but um, O.J. Simpson and uh, more recently the Clark Rockefeller, if you remember him, six or seven years ago. He was claiming to be part of the Rockefeller family. Oh, right, yeah. 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 Right. Well, so so what happens when 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 the media or somebody contacts you? So, uh, like with OJ, what were they trying to get? Um, trying to decide whether you think he's guilty or not. Is that kind of a way that they do it? No, actually, as I recall, that was for the hard copy show, and um, also for one for CNN. I think was the most interesting, and that was not a personality part of the case. Some. Um, handwriting had been found in the Bronco, in um, Nicole's Bronco, as I recall. Uh, I, I'm not remembering all of the facts. But basically, some handwriting came up, and it was it showed somebody was following Nicole Simpson. And so they wanted to know if it was O.J.'s handwriting. And several, I think five other handwriting examiners had all said, yes, it's his handwriting. And I said, absolutely not. Uh, I mean, it, there was nothing like his handwriting. I don't know how they came to that conclusion. So it turned out that somebody who was already in jail for something unrelated confessed that it was his writing and that he had been following her. So in that case, there I was proved right. 
That's, that's, it's pretty incredible. Um, so do investigators use this a lot? Um, I, I wouldn't say a lot, but there are some investigators who do. I have been invited to uh, give a two-day class at a police department in another state. I'm not sure how they're going to use it, but um, they want personality analysis. They want their officers to uh, know something about handwriting. So there are some who use it. Now, when you have you been asked to, to analyze suicide notes to see if they're real or not? Yes, on a number of occasions. In fact, I testified in a case um, a couple of years ago where a woman had died, and sometime afterwards, a new district attorney came in and decided that the husband had written the suicide note. There were two notes, actually. And he was sitting in jail and for a couple of years. And so when the trial came up, uh, I had examined all of the, the two suicide notes and his handwriting and the wife's handwriting. There was no way he wrote it. I don't know if he killed her or not, but he certainly did not write those suicide notes. She did. And uh, so I was able to testify in that case. That's when it would be absolutely useful. Like, did this person really write this? You know, for example, ransom cases. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did some work for the Denver Post on the uh, John Benet Ramsey case, which was well, some 20, 20 some years ago, I guess. Oh, wow. Now, what was your conclusions on that? I mean, that's fascinating. Yeah, they sent me all of the um, samples that the police had apparently. And my conclusion was I did not see how they could say that um, Patsy Ramsey wrote it. And because some people were saying that, but I could not see how they could um, eliminate John Ramsey based on what I saw. Mm. Now, what about historical cases? I mean, you know, when you're going through your, your education process for this, do they give you historical cases to look at and get your opinions on, on things that have already been either solved or, I mean, what is the education process? You know, if I wanted to do what you do now, where would I start and what would be some of the things I would look at? Um, as far as authentication, I, I recommend people to um, read Hayes, who is one of my colleagues. He has... Uh, a distance course, distance learning course that he teaches. I have taught at UC Riverside several times in uh, in the crime scene investigation uh, program, certificate program, and we basically teach the same thing, which is, oh gosh, he, I think his course, you know, it takes, it takes a long time to go through it and really get competent. And he does use historical uh, references. Uh, you know, there are a number of cases like the the Hitler diaries and a bunch of them like that that are instructive to study, I suppose. Now, through your studies, um, do they teach you or, or are you able today to actually detect deception? Like if I were to write a misleading statement for the court or even for the media, would you be able to detect that in my handwriting based on previous samples? Um, it, I have to say it depends. And 
in many cases, yes, you can tell because there are, people don't want to lie and there are little micro um, things that point to lies in handwriting, for instance. And, and this would only be, not only, but let's say mainly be true if somebody um, felt guilty about what they were doing. If they didn't feel guilty, it may not show up. But if they do, uh, just before the lie, sometimes there's a little extra space because they got to think for a second to change the information, or the slant may change, or the size, or things like that. So that yeah, there are there are clues. Oh, now you can't just drop us off at the corner like that. Um, tell <laughs> us tell us what you look for and what do you see in you know like d- deception, or if you're trying to detect. A person's personality. If I just handed you a letter and said, "Hey, this is from you know serial killer Al Warren," what what would you look for, and what would you be able to tell us? <laughs> Actually, there's a, there's a chapter in one of my books on the handwritings of serial killers, so I, I've looked at quite a few of them. The fact is, you know, serial killers' handwritings, and I'm just I'm generalizing, are kind of different from other killers or other kinds of of um, people who are in jail for for bad crimes because well there, of course there's the, the FBI says there's two kinds of serial killers the organized and the disorganized the disorganized ones tend to be mentally ill and so their handwriting is going to be in a whole other category but the organized ones look very much like other people's and that's how they're able to get away with what they're doing over a long period of time because they fit into society like Ted Bundy for instance and yet his handwriting has some big red flags in it and each of them there there's usually some red flag but you couldn't look at a handwriting and say this is a serial killer you can just all I can do is describe the behavior not make a diagnosis or you know come to that kind of conclusion Hmm. Now, In fact, how, how many? What, did did you ever check out the Zodiac? Um, oh yes. Okay. <laughs> so I was going to say that's a, that was a pretty popular one for years. Um, how 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 do you describe that character? <laughs> um, I have to think about that. It he has a characteristic that some handwriting analysts call the maniac D which is, it could, it could apply to any letter. And in fact, you can't just take any one letter and say anything about it. But in his writing, he'll be writing along and all of a sudden the slant will fall over to the right. And it, what it shows is a sudden explosion of emotion. Mm. So I, I can see that if you're right-handed. Uh, no, the same thing is true as if you're left-handed. And I've done a study on left-handedness. And, really? Yeah, the fact is, in the in the study I did, there were 132 samples, half men, half women, half left, half right, in each group. And um, of those, of the 132, only two people slanted to the left, and they were both right-handers. So what we found is that it applies, we, we give left-handers a little extra credit for right slant and, and for a couple of other things because it's hard. I have two left-handed kids, so I've seen the challenges they've gone through. But um, the, the, the rules apply equally to either-handedness. So you're, you're, when you're writing with your left hand as compared to the right, you're not 
writing from a different part of the brain. It's, it, it doesn't appear different. Sure you are. Well, yeah, you're, you are writing from the other side of the brain. Okay. There's, two, there's two kinds of left-handers. There's hookers and pushers. And so it depends how you hold the pen. And a hooker literally hooks their arm around and, and, push, and moves the pen across the page. And a pusher is the kind that they're writing with their hand straight, but they're more likely to smear the ink as they go across. Mm-hmm. But they still, either way, their handwriting is going to tell the truth about them. It makes sense. Now, I, I work in a jail, so hooker and pusher <laughs> has a completely different meaning to me. <laughs> I'm sure it does. Yeah. No, the, I was going to say that, uh, okay, so I was born in the early 60s, and um, we were all taught to write with our right hand. And I'm left-handed. So when I was in school, she would hit me with her ruler <laughs> if I tried to write with my left. So they were trying to make me write with my right. Mm-hmm. But So I, that, I, I, I came out to be a true um, ambidextrous. I can write with either hand mm-hmm. and get away with it. Like, you you know, if I write something, you would not, you know, you would, you would not... I, I, it wouldn't come out as being really bad. It comes out about the same. Mm-hmm. But I'm more comfortable with my left. I think because yeah. I'm a rebel. Uh, so are ambidextrous people still... Um, you can analyze them the same. There's no real differences in that. Sure. Any graphic expression can be analyzed. I mean, different languages, different types of languages, like um, you know, in Arabic or Hebrew... The, the principles are the same, it, well, at least using gestalt methods of analysis. There's two kinds of handwriting analysis. Um, one is called trait stroke, where each individual stroke is assigned a personality trait name. And in my opinion, that has very limited value because what you end up getting is a laundry list of traits, but you have no context. The other is the Gestalt method, which looks at the whole picture of handwriting. It looks at the, the way it's laid out on the page. That's the, the spatial arrangement, the way the writing looks. That's called the writing form and the writing movement, which includes things like rhythm and speed and pressure and all kinds of other things. So if you know those principles, you can analyze anything. Hmm. It's pretty, pretty interesting. So uh, now let's, let's talk about some of your books. So, um, what have you been writing about? Uh, I see you, you do a mystery series. Um, uh, maybe tell us about that. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I, I write fiction and nonfiction. My mystery series is called The Forensic Handwriting Mysteries uh, with a forensic handwriting expert named Claudia Rose, whose work very much mirrors mine. She's not me, but she does the same kind of work as me, and so... She works in the court system and also with personality assessment. And she gets into all kinds of uh, adventures, I guess you'd say. And, and for your nonfiction, what, do, what, what kind of areas do you cover? Uh, well, they're all about handwriting. I had written The Complete Idiot's Guide to Handwriting Analysis back in 2000. It was my first book. And that was selling very well and finally went out of print last year. And so I decided to rewrite it because people still wanted the material. It's like a basic course in handwriting analysis. And so I rewrote it and uh, gave it a new title, which is Reading Between the Lines, Decoding Handwriting. And um, 
I mentioned the book where I have a, a chapter on serial killers, which also has chapters on the addictive personality and childhood sexual abuse seen in adult handwriting and stuff like that, which is advanced studies in handwriting uh, analysis or something like handwriting. I can't think of the name of it. And, and other books <laughs> like that. <laughs> that happens to me all the time. So, so there's an actual difference between a, um, uh, so if someone's been, um, sexually assaulted as a child or something and they grow up, they actually write differently than um, you, you can actually notice it? Yes. Um, in many cases, I won't say in every case. And if somebody has resolved those issues, then it may not show up in their handwriting or it will show up when they're young and then disappear later because handwriting changes as we grow and change. But there are definitely um, flags, red flags, I suppose, um, that show when somebody's had sexual abuse issues and still dealing with them. Well, now, how does it show up? I mean, that that's fascinating. I mean, not in a morbid way, but, I mean, how does it show up? And because, of, because I do the gestalt kind of analysis, it's hard to point to any one thing and say this means that because it, it's the whole picture of the writing. There are certain forms that we see in a lot of women, especially women, some men too, but mostly women, handwriting, um, and it looks like, um, I guess it looks like a claw, especially in the lower loops. Now, these days, kids, a lot of kids are not taught to write in cursive, and so it's not showing up in the same way. But in people who learn to write in cursive, um, this is one of the forms that we see. It, it's a sign of guilt, feeling guilt, like like it was their fault, and they're trying to repress it in, in a subconscious area of the handwriting. Right, because one of the minor little classes that we had in psychology was uh, just a little bit about you know handwriting analysis. And they say that people that write small you know, may feel like they've been minimized in some sort of way. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also, small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way, and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Such as, you know, maybe an assault or a sexual assault, that it made them feel small, so it will reflect in our handwriting. Uh, is that true, or is that a generality, or... I've never heard that before. That's interesting. Uh, and in fact, in in the cases that I've seen, which, you know, I, I figure I've got at least 15,000 samples in my collection. Most of the women who have these signs write large and round. The, the writing is very rounded because <clears throat> um, it's roundedness in writing is emotionalism and um it has to, the, the roundedness has to do with the poor ego development. And so for small writing, it, it may be true, but it's not something that I've noticed. Mm. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, that's it, it, there you find things out. Um, so have you, you've analyzed uh, famous people before? Lots of them. What, what's kind of been your favorite ones to, to have analyzed in, in your history? Oh, I don't know if I have a favorite. Oh. <laughs> there are so many. Well, one that surprised you. How's that? Oh, gosh. The famous people? I don't know. It, I, it, that's it, too hard of a question. It wasn't OJ signing his manuscript saying, I didn't do it, but if I did, I would have done it like this. <laughs> I haven't read that. <laughs> no. Well, I was just, I was just wondering if any, any sort of um, um, would stick out, or any, any um, past leaders, or anything that you've, you've done, and you've kind of um, thought were funny, or, or. You mean like Donald Trump? <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, we have to. <laughs> Is that where we're going? <laughs> wah wah wah. I mean, uh, that's. Um, that's a handful. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> well, I, you know, I have followed his handwriting since uh, 1992, so long before he thought about being president or declared. So I, I've been familiar with it. Yeah. So when he signed the check to Stormy Daniels, was he being forced or was it willingly? <laughs> you know, I... I'd hate to say it. I saw it um, today online, and it it looked pretty angry, but it looked more compressed than his usual signature. You know, he's pretty proud of that signature. He likes to show it off, but it looked like it was compressed. 
And that so, could could be a, not wanting to sign it. So was she a hooker or was he a pusher? <laughs> oh, I'm not going there. <laughs> oh, they're probably we, both. Yeah, we can edit that out. <laughs> um, but, but no, no, no. Seriously, I mean, Al brings up a really, really good point because as he was asking the question, I was sitting here thinking. You know, recently I I've been to a military museum, and they've got documents such as the surrender of Japan to the U.S. in in the forties. And I would love to, to kind of see what a handwriting analysis would think, you know, was Hirohito, was he, you know, pressed to do that? Was he under a, you know, you know, what was his mood when he signed that surrender, that famous document? Or how about this? Our founding fathers, when they signed the Declaration of Independence, you know, I mean, we know what John Hancock's thoughts were. But what about the others? Yeah. Well, the only way to know what their mood was at the time would be to compare it to other handwritings so that you see, you know, you need to get a, a benchmark and then compare it. Hmm. So. Have you so when you were when you were looking at Trump's, have you seen a a, a major change over the last few years or have you followed that up? No. It's quite consistent over the years. And notice that his signature is very different from the rest of his writing, which is a form of block printing. And he always uses, or virtually always, uses a, a heavy felt pen, which is kind of interesting. And usually he writes at an angle, an I think it's an oblique angle, you know, on this, like, he turns the writing, uh, I can't think of the word, but, you know, at a, at, a, at a very strong angle, which is done by people who do things their own way. They're not going to, they buck the system, in other words. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah, that's, it's, uh, yeah. it's pretty interesting, you know. <laughs> As you were speaking, the check just flashed on <laughs> Fox News here in the studio, and I, I had to look. Yes. But, now, now, but it brings up a really good question. Are you able to predict behavior based on a person's handwriting? For example, if I were to see an agreement right now uh, between North Korea and the U.S. and they both sign a document, would we be able to perhaps, I know this is real etherical, but would we be able to perhaps predict if Kim Jong-un is going to you know, stand by his promises based on what he writes? Mm. I wouldn't want to make such a prediction. Um, <clears throat> we can only predict based on past behavior. And, of course, handwriting is behavior on the page, so it's past behavior, but predictions are always guesswork, yep. but not, it's, but not it's, scientific. But it's, yes, but it's mindset on a page. Yeah, but a signature by itself is not all that useful because the signature is your public image. We like to say it's like the cover on the book, and the truth is what's inside. So you have to compare the signature to the rest of the writing and see if it's congruent, you know, if, it, if it's similar. If it's not similar, that tells you that the public image is quite different from what the, the uh, personal self is. Ooh, so it's touche. not that simple. <laughs> touche. Uh, there you go. Well, yeah, I have two signatures. <laughs> 
Huh? A lot of public figures do. Yeah. I do. I oh. sign my books differently for people than I sign my checks. Right. Not surprised. And, and I did that on purpose. Not that I'm uh, suspicious, but I just sort of, I changed the A on how I write on my mm -hmm. name. Well, yeah, a lot but, of but again, that, that, that shows mindset, Al, because when you're signing a book, you're signing that to somebody who, who loves you and, and cares about you, you know, enough to buy your book, whereas a check, eh, I'm just signing bills. You know, how dare you take my money? <laughs> yeah, a check to the IRS, you might sign a little differently than oh, that to I, your kid. I would just, I would just whiz on it and send it in. But <laughs> oh, <laughs> send your mail nice. to him, <laughs> IRS. That's really nice. Yeah, that's crazy, crazy. Um, Wow, it's it's wow! What a what a field. Um, now, do you guys um, do you end up um, doing having uh, like meetings with different handwriters, and you guys get together and do some sort of uh, groups and stuff like that? Um, do handwriting analysts get together? Yes. Oh yeah. Uh, I I am the president currently of the American Handwriting Analysis Foundation, which is a 50-some-year-old organization, nonprofit, and we, we've actually just gone to having only online conferences for a while, and we have weekly study group meetings online, and it's a really great organization. It's ahafhandwriting.org for anybody who wants to look. Wow. Um, so... Now, now on your books. Now you said you have a some a new one coming out um, in May. Uh, what's that about? Uh, yes, my new book is going to be very different. So I hope my readers will give it a chance. It's it's a new series called Beyond the Veil Mysteries, and um, this is a few years ago. I wrote a book called What She Saw about a young woman who wakes up on a train before the girl on the train, by the way. But this young woman wakes up and she has complete amnesia. She doesn't know who she is, where she's going, and she gets off the train and stuff happens to her. Well, in this book, we, we pick up five years later and she has, you know, the amnesia is passed, but she's been hearing voices from the spirit world. And so it's her struggle dealing with that, and she's called upon to help find a, a missing child using her new skills or gifts, whatever you want to call it. So it will be a different one. Wow, that is that's a, a different kind of a different category almost. Yes, I I got interested in the spirit world in 2000 when my daughter was killed by her boyfriend, whose oh, wow. handwriting. I had analyzed and who showed numerous red flags. He was a federal agent. He killed himself, too. So that really started my interest. Well, I'm terribly sorry for your loss. Thank you. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. And, uh, uh, you know, and uh, when you go back on it and you look at the writing, it must really uh, make it that much harder because you, you can notice things in the writing. Well, the three of us, he, she, and I discussed the writing because he had asked me to analyze it. You know, I mean, when your mom is a handwriting analyst and you get a new boyfriend, what do you do? <laughs> or girlfriend, <laughs> my sons do. Um, yeah, so we had discussed the writing, and I was disturbed by some of the things I saw. Mainly, he was very authoritarian. 
and I can, you know, I mean, he was a federal agent, so he was in the right job for that. Yeah. But I, I asked him that some physiological aspects show up in handwriting, and um, there was indications of a head injury. And I asked him if he had ever had a really? blow to the head. Yeah, and he said he had been hit in the head on the job so hard that he was almost blinded, and he had terrible headaches. And both of them drank a lot, and it was kind of uh, an explosion waiting to happen. Now, how were you able to detect that, that he had had a head injury? <sighs> it's hard just to describe it without showing you, but the upper, the tops of the upper loop, let, let's do it this way. If you think about the letter F in cursive, it has an upper loop and a lower loop, and then a middle section. So think of that as representing the human body, and the top of the upper loop is the head, and the bottom is the feet, and so... The other parts are in between. In his case, there was a little dent at the top on, of the upper loop and a, and a light spot in the line. You have to look at it under magnification. And so that told me that there was an issue in the head. So that's just one of the things. I can't diagnose anything, obviously. I'm not a doctor. But but I, I have um, observed a lot of different aspects aspects of physiological issues that come up in handwriting. Hmm. Wow. Now, am I right? Did you have some, did you see the Kurt Cobain suicide note? Yes, I did. There we go. (laughs) So now, did you come up with an opinion on that? Yes. And and you know what happened was um, about three o'clock in the morning, I got a phone call from a a private investigator that I had worked with before named Tom Grant. And he said um, that he was and and normally I wouldn't answer the phone at three o'clock in the morning. But (laughs) I, you know, I had worked with him. And so I recognized his number or something. Anyway, he said that he was um, working on this case and that Courtney Love had hired him, and that during his investigation, he'd seen some of her handwriting, and he had the suicide note, and he was going to the police at 9 o'clock that morning, and he wanted to prove that she had written the note, not Kurt. So he faxed it to me, and I stayed up all night working on it, and when he called me back, I told him, you know, I can see where you think that some of the letters, some of the individual letters that she wrote in her handwriting are similar. But no, he wrote the note. Well, he wasn't satisfied with that. So I referred him to another document examiner who independently came up with the same uh, opinion that I did. And by the way, neither one of us ever got paid. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Carol Carol Chasky, was that the? Carol is, the, yeah, she's yeah. a. No, she's Carol Chasky is um, a linguistic specialist. Right. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, and and in that, so you feel like he 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 was, it was it a suicidal letter, like by the handwriting itself, or no? No, I was just comparing it to some other samples of his handwriting mm-hmm. that um, that I found, and then Tom Grant had faxed me a whole bunch of handwriting. And there's no question that he wrote it. The the personality aspects were very interesting. What do you mean? Well, the the writing says to me that he lacked um, what I would call an inner compass. 
You know, he felt very insecure. He had like nothing to hold on to, no roots. And so he was all over the place. And um, he was coming from a, a lot of fear and anxiety, which, you know, in a, in a suicide note would not be a big surprise. But it was such a long, long letter. Um, he, he just had no peace of mind. He's, he's highly ambivalent and stuff like that. Wow. So how does how does that affect you when you're going through notes like that? Like, does it does it cause an effect for you, or can you just go to sleep and don't don't think about it? No, I have to be objective when I'm doing any kind of examination. So I'll put aside any personal feelings, and um, you know, just work objectively on what I see in the writing, the space, form, and movement. Well, do you ever get jaded? Because I mean, you you see this so much. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I, for a while, I was doing six to eight analyses a day, oh, and, wow. or, like for for about four years, and it became my day job, and I was getting kind of sick of it at that point. But um, I don't do that anymore. So, no, I still love it. I love being able to help people with what I can find in the writing. It's interesting that you um, are into the spirit world somewhat. Um, so do you think that um, it has an influence on some of the writing that we do? What, the spirit world? Yeah. Do you think that, you know, because we, we hear about possess, possession and demons and, 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 and all that stuff. Do you think that, that even Ted Bundy had a kind of almost a second personality? Um, do, do you think that, that, that what I'm, I guess what I'm getting at is, uh, would that change the handwriting? Would the person actually write differently even though they thought they were two people or multiple personalities or they had a demon attached to them? Or is their handwriting still the same? Well, I have been involved in cases of multiple personality, um, which is different from what you're talking about. Right. And I, I'm a member of the Afterlife Research Education and Inst um, Education Institute, and I am, uh, I lead a group, an online group in automatic writing, which is writing from the spirit. So those are really very different things. Um, I, as for possession, yeah, it, I believe spirit can influence handwriting, but I don't think that's the, the case in, the, in Ted Bundy. His handwriting has been consistent in all of the samples I've seen. And if spirit was influencing it, it would look very different from the person's own handwriting. Right, because that's the spirit writing through the person. rather. Yeah, than because writing. the handwriting is reflecting the personality of the person writing. And here's a sort of a related thing. In, in the case of um, guided handwriting, if somebody is sick in bed, they're dying, and they need to sign their will, but they're not strong enough to sign it, then somebody may, you know, somebody that they have designated may actually hold their hand and help them sign their signature. Well, in those cases, the personality traits of the person holding the hand will have an influence on the signature of the sick person. So in the same way, if you have a, um, a spirit influencing a writing, that personality is going to come through 
and you'll see that rather than the person that they are using to write. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. You know, please sign this insurance policy. Let me help. <laughs> let me help you. <laughs> yeah. Well, in some cases, but, you know, those that comes to court because there'll be undue influence, like signing signing with somebody who was unconscious at the time. But now, let's go back to multiple personalities. Though, does each personality have their own individual signature or their own individual way of writing? Yes. Um, so. So would you say that those are actual people? Well, they're actual personalities. Exactly. Maybe that's what I meant to say. Yeah. Because that fascinates me. Yeah. Um, in a case where, uh, with where maybe as you know, where they're trying to determine whether it's a multiple personality, or as they now call it, dissociative identity disorder. Mm -hmm. um, what I have to look at <clears throat> as a document examiner is whether the, the handwriting is shows a completely different personality and whether there are still some signs of the original person within that handwriting. So it's, um, it's actually a multiple uh, layered kind of an examination. How far do you, where do you think... Um handwriting analysis going to go? How far, how much further do you think it's going to go? Well, you know, we have the challenge right now of the Common Core curriculum having taken the requirement to teach handwriting away from schools. Didn't say you can't teach it, but many, many schools stopped teaching it. Uh, my organization is working with legislators and, and uh, organizations trying to get that changed and now 21 states have put it back or continued it, but a whole bunch of states have recently passed legislation to bring it back. So as long as there is handwriting, there's handwriting analysis, and handwriting includes printed writing, because printing is writing. But, um, you know, handwriting analysis is part of psychology. So hmm. I don't know how much further it can go, but as long as there's psychology and handwriting, they'll be handwriting analysts. So they actually want to take handwriting out of school? Like why? Uh, well, because they're short-sighted and they don't recognize that um, handwriting has an influence on young brains and on behavior. So they're saying that it's they, the big they, are saying that they only need keyboarding. Even though research, research shows that keyboarding does not light up the brain in the same ways in the same areas as cursive handwriting does, or any handwriting. Right. They just hand them a, uh, a laptop and say, here you go. Yeah, and what happens when there's a major disaster and you don't have electricity? <laughs> you know, you don't have your electronics to use. That, handwriting also helps with the memory, right? Yes, it does. And research shows that there's a on the A ahalfhandwriting.org website, we have published a white paper with a whole, over 80 research papers, peer-reviewed research that have been published that show the importance of handwriting and how it affects memory and learning, and spelling and all reading, all those kinds of things. Well, I think that's crazy. I think that we, uh, 
uh, people have to keep learning and uh, writing and spelling and all that's important. Communication, right? Absolutely. And that white paper is free for download, and it's in seven languages. I remember struggling with cursive. Mm -hmm. Well, Well, you still do. (laughs) When you you struggle, there may be physiological reasons or there may be emotional reasons. So, (laughs) oh, yeah, several. Uh, I I was going to say so for for our listeners, how about giving out um, your website and contact information if somebody wants to get a hold of you? I would love to. I actually have two websites, one for handwriting analysis, which is just my name, SheilaLowe.com, S-H-E-I-L-A-L-O-W-E. The other one for my books is ClaudiaRoseSeries.com. Fantastic. Now, we're going to link that on our website, so our listeners can just do one click away if they're listening to the show and they want to check you out. They can just uh, tap on it. So... um, Wow, it's, it's certainly an interesting area, and um, and it's been great to talk to you. So our guest has been Sheila Lowe. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.